Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, where we interview Liz Frugalwoods with special guest, my friend Jesse Johnson, and debate buying a new car versus fixing up your old one. All right, so we had this 2010 Toyota Prius. We bought it in 2016 for $8,995. We sold it in August 2022 for $8,200, which... what is what is that that's a 16 percent depreciation rate that's absurd you know and but that's what the market will bear and i'm in rural vermont like this is not exactly a big market you know so like if you have an extra car that you don't need this is a great time to sell it hello 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 my name is mindy jensen and with me as always is my non-mechanically inclined co-host scott trench but a little bit later carl hops in to talk shop with jesse Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting or even if you're buying a brand new car. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate or start your own business, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams. Scott, I am excited to talk today to Liz and to Jesse about new cars. We have had so many people on the show whose biggest money mistake was buying a brand new car. But Liz Frugalwoods is here to talk about doing just that, consciously making a decision based on a lot of research and uh, a lot like a real need, not just a, a want or an I deserve it. But she is here to to uh, defend her choice. Yeah, I think it's a great discussion. There's a lot. Buying a car is challenging. It's not. It's not buying a house, but it's probably the second thing, to, second hardest uh, of these uh, life financial decisions that we got to make after after your home purchase. So much research goes into it. So many different puts and takes. There's transaction costs to buying and selling cars, just like there are with housing. You've got to think through things like um, buying new versus used and risk factors, safety, um, the fact that in Colorado, if you buy a new car, the registration and the purchase price really makes a huge difference in the amount um, of taxes and fees that you pay to the county, for example, on an annual, on a, on a, on an annual basis. So there's a ton of different points here. Um, it's a really hard decision. And hopefully today's episode will leave us all with a little bit um, more clarity on, on how to handle it if we have to make a decision on the, the vehicle front in the next year or two. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. 
It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. Today, we're talking with Liz Frugalwoods, who first joined us way back on episode 10, where she talked about designing a frugal but luxurious lifestyle. Liz Frugalwoods, welcome back to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. Or actually, should I say Liz Spendywoods, since you just bought yourself a brand new car. And let me clarify, quoting you exactly, not a new to us car, not a nearly new car, an actual factual brand new 2022 Subaru Outback. So Liz Spendy Pants, welcome back to the show. What do you have to say for yourself? Uh, thank you so much, Mindy. I'm honored <laughs> and delighted. <laughs> So you bought yourself a car, even though, Scott, what is the number one biggest money mistake that people make on our podcast? Buying a new car. Is that right? So, Liz, uh, from episode 350, you are wrong, wrong, wrong. I'm just kidding. Okay, it's actually episode 349. However, Liz, I actually approve of your purchase, and there are a lot of reasons why. Let's talk about why you even felt a need to buy a brand new car, a car at all. So we live in the rural woods of Vermont. We live on 66 acres in the middle of nowhere. There is no public transportation. Mindy's been to my house, so she she can well attest to this. Um, there's no public transportation. You're not walking anywhere. You are not biking. Um, it is kind of the biggest downside to me. We used to live in the city, took the bus, took transit. My husband biked to work every day. That was fantastic. The trade-offs are worth it, but we have a car-bound lifestyle and we have to have two cars because we have two adults and two kids and you cannot have one parent stuck at home with the kids without a vehicle, which actually happened to us accidentally one time and was absolutely terrifying because you, we also don't have cell service, don't have great phone service. Anyway, we need to have two cars. So when we moved here initially, we started out with 
a Subaru Outback and a Prius. This was a 2010 Subaru Outback and a Prius. And we tried to make that Subaru Outback work as a truck. It's not a truck. It will not haul things. You cannot put things in the back in the way that you might want to, especially not when you have two car seats in the back seat. So we sold that Outback and we bought a used truck, a Toyota Tundra. This was back in, I want to say 2017 or 2018. And so we had the biggest and the smallest that Toyota offers. We had the Prius, it's like a little tiny Prius, and we had the enormous Tundra. And so the Tundra is a work truck. It is for hauling stuff. It is for farm equipment. It is for like when we get huge loads of mulch or manure. It is for when you need to move a chicken coop around. It is for hauling tires, snow plows. I don't know. Think of something else big. We've probably hauled it. Maple sugaring equipment, like stuff that you, you know, got to get in the back of the truck. The Prius was the daily driver, which was fantastic because as I mentioned, we have to drive. And so having that 46 miles per gallon was ideal. So what was the problem? (laughs) You want me to stop talking so you can ask another question? (laughs) Go ahead. So what was the problem? (laughs) So (laughs) we love the Prius. I think it is a fantastic car. If we still lived in the city, I would absolutely keep that. However, we have to have all-wheel drive. We have to have ground clearance. I didn't even know what ground clearance was. This is like the distance that your car is off the ground. Literally the space between your car and the ground. The Prius is so low to the ground that anytime there was like an inch of snow or like a little branch or a rock, it would get stuck on the underside of the Prius and the bottom of it kept falling off. So we had to like zip tie the bottom of the Prius like back up there. Um, it is not a rural car. It does not do off-roading. It does not do dirt roads. Uh There are paved roads out here, but there are many more dirt roads. And we were constantly in a situation where we wouldn't drive the Prius because we were afraid it would get stuck. So we were driving the truck. The truck gets four miles a gallon. So this is like completely defeats the purpose of having a Prius when you're driving the truck all the time. So it sounds like this was a well thought out decision, which I think is a very important distinction that uh, separates you from the people who have said over the course of 350 episodes, my biggest money mistake was buying a brand new car. They, when they bought the brand new car, they were buying a brand new car right out of high school, right out of college with no money, with no thought, oh, I got a new job, I deserve it. And this was much more, I need it. And I've done some, some research into what I've got now and it's not working for me. Well, well, that's true, except for the new car piece. She needed a new to her car piece, but you bought a brand new in general car. And that I think is really the interesting part here. So I think like, it's completely understandable. You need a four wheel drive vehicle with some ground clearance in Vermont uh, to make it through the snow and the dirt and the mud um, and whatever else um, you have out there in the woods um, with the frugal woods. So, so what, what, why did you pick a new car instead of a used four wheel drive vehicle? I would have loved to buy a used four-wheel drive vehicle. And in fact, we tried for two years to buy a used four-wheel drive vehicle. However, thanks to my buddy COVID and my other buddy inflation, used car prices were up 42% at the time that we were looking. And so we were seeing 2017s, 2018s, 2019s that cost as much as a new car, or in some cases, they actually cost more. Because if 
due to these supply chain issues. If you need a car right away, you cannot actually get a brand new car in most cases. You cannot just drive it off the lot. So you're waiting a month, two months, six months for this car. Hence, the demand for used cars has risen precipitously. So you, you know, if you need a car today, you might end up paying the price of a 2022 for something like a 2017 with, you know, I don't know how many miles on it. So we looked at that. We did a lot of considerations about the value of saving maybe $1,000, maybe $1,500 on something used and said that that calculation just doesn't make sense anymore. So this financial wisdom that I have said, I've said it a million times, never buy a new car, no matter what you do, don't buy a new car. It's the stupidest thing you can do. I have said these words. But the problem (laughs) is that when you've got this unusual market where used cars cost as much as new cars, you are not getting a warranty with a used car. You have mileage, you have wear and tear, you have unknown substances spilled inside of the car. Point being, the the financial calculation is out the window. And so then we started looking for a new car that would be, that would really check all of our boxes and that would be reasonable financially. So, you know, we didn't buy a Tesla. We did not buy the most expensive thing we could find. We tried to find something that we thought would last us for a long time, um, but that would also serve the needs that we have. Now, when I went, so I, I am, I am actually going through something very similar right now. In 2014, I bought a brand new Toyota Corolla, which is now eight years old and has been phenomenal. I'm probably going to have this car for another 15 years. My biggest complaint is that at some point I would like to get a Tesla, um, but I can't get it until um, my Corolla is spent. So that might be a very long time uh, in the future off uh, in a general sense. So, but it's it's just that reliable, right? Um, my my wife want, you know, we want to get a four wheel drive vehicle, um, for similar reasons, but that's because we want it for leisure in the mountains and to be able to go and enjoy Colorado, um, year round and, ha- and have that option available to us in a general sense. And we're going through the exact same issue. The lot price is, um, you know, we're looking at a RAV4, for example, it's $29,000, depending on how you, you shop around. We're getting very clear on the, the price point for a new RAV4 right now. Um, there, there's, you know, a used one can go for 36 or, or 30 or 32, th- three years old can go for the same price as a brand new one with 30, 40,000 miles. Um, 10, 10 years old, you start getting into lower price points, like, um, the, the, the $18,000 range if it has low, reasonably low miles and those kinds of things. But it's like that, that calculation is really hard for me to figure out like, what is, what is the, the, the right choice here? I mean, it's, it's, which, I mean, it might, might as well just go new at that point. Um, and, and there's so many advantages, like you said, now there are some trade-offs. I have some questions about, um, when I bought my brand new Corolla 2014, or I guess, yeah, 2013, it was a 2014 model. That's how new it was. Um, and I, I was shocked at how much it cost to register the car in Colorado. There was like a thousand dollar registration fee and, and, um, for, for taxes because it's a new car. And that price went, it was still high the second year, but dramatically went down. It was like 130 bucks, um, for example, to register it this year. And I understand that that is similar, similarly going to be the case with a brand new, new model as well. But are there other considerations that, that are going into that, that, uh, that calculation that we should be aware of besides the, the lot price, taxes and fees or registration items or anything like that? I think a lot of that is going to vary by state. For us, it is actually cheaper to insure the brand new Outback than it was to insure the Prius. So 
cost less money because the brand new Outback has so many safety features that the Prius lacked that you are so much less likely to be in an accident that it is less expensive to insure. In terms of registration, taxes, Vermont gives you a rebate for any difference between your old car and your new car. So I think it's a wash. Um, I think the consideration is opportunity cost of that money, right? What else could you have done with that money? What could I have done with that money other than sink it into this likely depreciating illiquid asset? So I, I think it's really the opportunity cost. But in my mind, if you have the cash to buy a new car, I don't really see the point of buying like a 10-year-old car, particularly because of the safety features that are now um, standard in cars. You know, the number of airbags, the backup camera. Um, you know, when I started learning the statistics on how much less likely you are to be in a crash, I was like, this is worth a lot of money to me. I have two little kids. You know, it, it, this is this kind of goes beyond the financial for me, but it really begs the question of, Again, why buy such an old car if you can afford something newer? Because I also think with an old car, you know, it, it may have already hit its depreciation curve, so it may not lose a whole lot of money, but it's also um, I'm not sure that you're necessarily solving the problem that you need to solve. Um, you know, th these cars are keeping their value at a tremendous rate, which it was a great time to sell the Prius. So we sold the Prius for like, not a whole lot less than what we had bought it for, which is unbelievable. Yeah, I bought my Corolla for seventeen thousand in twenty fourteen. It is now worth twelve thousand five hundred eight years later. So it's pretty remarkable. So one of the big arguments against buying a used car in the past was, oh, I'm buying somebody else's problem, which was mitigated by the fact that it came at such a reduced price. Well, I might be buying somebody else's problem, but. Three years ago, that that car was seventeen thousand, and now I'm buying it for five thousand. That's a lot of money that I can gamble on, you know, fixing and and repairing the car. But now with prices so close, I mean, in your article, uh, Liz wrote an article at frugalwoods.com called "Why We Bought a New Car," um, and in the article you say the difference was two thousand dollars at that point. That is nothing. And I absolutely would have done the same thing if I had all of the same scenarios that you do. I don't. And I am stuck with my 2010 uh, and my 2003. And it's okay because they get the job done. And I'm not really stuck. Carl wants a Tesla, but <laughs> I'm like, then go buy it. <laughs> but, but, but let's let's also acknowledge something here. Like the three of us on this, talking about this issue, we are all millionaires, Right. And so we, we like like we have the luxury of being able to make a calculated financial choice with this this scenario in a non-emergency setting. But like how do you how do we think about the ramifications of this market and this choice for uh, for other folks that are that are looking to make to make a, a good decision here and need to get a car for whatever reason in, in a short period of time. And I think you have three choices there buy used, buy new, or lease. And maybe I'll add in fourth one, a creative option that I'm not thinking of um, with this. What, what do you do in, the, in that position right now if, if you don't have 30 grand to drop on a new car or, or ability to finance 30 grand? 
I just helped um, some of our closest friends who all of a sudden needed to get a car. And, you know, it was not optional. And so I kind of took them through the, the process that I do when I work with people on their finances, which is like, okay, start at first principles. Do you need a car, right? Because if there are people who live in circumstances, in cities, in places where you do not need a car. You know, I lived in New York City. The car is more trouble than it's worth. Out here, as I said, two cars are absolutely mandatory. So think about your lifestyle. Is this something that you could delay for a year and, and kind of hope that inflation and the supply chain settles out, right? If you can't delay it, um, I think that in a lot of cases and, and where my friends ended up going is financing a brand new car because I looked at used cars with them. And again, it was like, this is absurd. You know, you're going to be pouring so much money into this used car that is not going to last you that long, doesn't have the safety features you want, doesn't have four wheel drive versus finding a reasonably priced, a modestly priced new car, and then doing the financing through the dealership. You know, I don't think that's ideal, right? Anytime we finance something, we are incurring the interest rate. But if you have to have a car and you have to have it now, I I do tend to think that that's probably your best option, which is like so bizarre to say, because in the past I would have said, well, obviously, you know, buy, buy a used car. But the thing is, I don't even know that you can find like a, say, $2,000 used car that's actually going to run. You know, I'm not even sure what the market, what's even available out there at that much lower price point. And this is a market timing issue because, I mean, there are used cars for sale that are cheaper than new cars. Like that is not a question. I can go out and I can buy a 2010 RAV4 for $15,000 with 125,000 miles. That is an option for me, but it's just very unattractive because it doesn't, it doesn't make sense that a new car would depreciate to that level in, in, in seven, in, in the next 10 years. Right. And that's a market timing issue is really what it, what it feels like at its core. Um, it feels like that cannot sustain. You, you, there will not be a future where Toyota is making new cars and selling them for twenty seven thousand, and the used version of it that's one year old is selling for seven, eight, nine thousand dollars more because of its inventory availability. That that cannot continue. Um, but to your point, this did continue. It has continued for two years and forced your hand. So I think that's like, how do you react to that scenario or that that positioning of the problem? Right. And that, again, that's, that's kind of where we, where I landed with my friends is, you know what, I think financing a new car is going to make the most sense. Um, and I think that's probably not the choice that a lot of people want to make. You know, that's not what we feel like is necessarily the right thing. But if you are looking at, like Scott saying, really kind of overspending the value on a used car, that's a tough proposition because with the new car, you are at least hopefully locking in what's a reasonable valuable reasonable value for it cuz Scott like you're saying that 2010 uh, RAV4 it's not really worth that right and so if the market normalizes then you're stuck with something that essentially you're underwater on right versus the new car where you know Toyota is not going to reduce the price of the RAV4 next year so if you buy a 2022, it's hopefully going to hold at least that value um, commensurate with the, the cost of a new RAV4. So if you needed to resell it, you know, you'd probably be able to sell it for more. And, and this will obviously depend on the price. 
But I guess I would ask then, is there a way to bridge that gap? I, I think that the market's going to change and it's going to be much more favorable used car market in a year or two. Now, we don't time the market here, um, so I'm going to make a decision based on what's presently the case, probably doing what you've said there and just buy a new car and hold on to it for 15, 20 years. I know there's a lot of problems with that. There's a lot of inventory, whatever, and I'll probably finance it. Um, because the dealer rates are much better than, for example, mortgage rates. Um, and why would I, why would I not finance something at a lower rate than the mortgages that I have in my rental properties? So anyways, um, but, 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 but is there a, a bridge that you can do a short-term rental, other options for using a car when you need it, like zip car, like what, are there any things that you're aware of that would allow you if you wanted to time the market and just wait and see if this market comes crashing down in a year or two? Right. Those are all, I think those are all great options. And it kind of goes back to how badly do you need this car? Right. Mm -hmm. And in terms of timing the market, you know, that's kind of what we did. Like we tried, we've waited a year and then we waited another year, like surely this will go down. And so this is one of two ways, right? Eventually it goes down and it quote unquote normalizes, or it just continues going up and you're wishing that you had bought a car last year you know, mm-hmm. which is like kind of how I feel. I'm like, oh, I just wish we bought it last year. But it, like the it, stock market, it just, yeah, I think that that's a fool's errand. I think you'll make yourself crazy. And so again, how badly do you need the car? What are the priorities for this vehicle? What is the cheapest vehicle that you can get into that's going to meet the needs that you have? So how does the cash for clunkers program from 2009 play into the current issues that we're having? I mean, that was, it was like, 11 years ago. So it seems like that wouldn't play into this. But again, back when I was buying crappy old cars, they were not brand new. They were 11 years old and 15 years old and they were two or $3,000. But then the government came in in 2009 and said, hey, we'll buy all these old cars. And now there's no old cars that you can put you know, a couple hundred bucks into and get them running for another three months and then a m- couple hundred more dollars and get them running for another three months. And you know that coupled with the, the chip shortage, uh, which is like the the chip shortage is not going to go away. It, I I keep reading articles about how it's going to go away next year. And then the next year I read an article, it's going to go away next year. It's going to go away next year. And Biden just signed something into law. He's, he's allocating, or, I'm sorry, he signed something. I shouldn't say he signed it into law. I don't know if it's a law, but he allocated like $54 billion to do research and like maybe build a chip factory or something. And I'm like, $54 billion is nothing when it comes to building a a chip factory. But a chip factory is even like to build it is so expensive and takes like years to build. You can't just fast track it. So I don't see, and obviously I'm not a chip shortage expert or chip expert, but I don't see this ending anytime soon. So, you know, to your point, Liz, oh, I should have bought it last year. You bought it this year. And next year, you're going to be like, wow, I really am glad I bought it last year because the Fed is, I mean, uh, what was it? The uh, CPI, just the number just came out today when we're recording this. And it is better than expected. Yay. Which means that the rate is most likely going to be increased at the um, the, the Fed CPI, CPI report came in higher than expected, right? Which is not a yay. Well, it's. It's um, it's got to be good some way, right? <laughs> it's great if you own a used car that you're trying to sell. Uh, yes. yes, and I will tell you from experience. Okay, so I looked up the numbers, right? All right, so we had this 2010 Toyota Prius, 
We bought it in 2016 for $8,995. We sold it in August 2022 for $8,200. Which, what is what is that? That's a 16% depreciation rate. That's absurd. You know, and but that's what the market will bear. And I'm in rural Vermont. Like, this is not exactly a big market. You know, so like if you have an extra car that you don't need, this is a great time to sell it. So it, it seems like the, the decision point is, do I really need a car? And and that's a long-term decision. Do I do I really need this car or a new one? Do, 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 I, do I need a second car, one car, any cars, whatever? I got to make that decision. And the best answer is, no, I don't need that. I can survive indefinitely because I live in New York or San Francisco or, um, you know, in a place that, that doesn't really require that. And I have other options when I, the few times I do need the car around the year. The second best one is, okay, if I need one, then right now, probably the best value play is buying a new car from a dealership and probably financing it. Um, if you're an investor and think you can arbitrage the 3.9% interest rate or ish that, that you're going to be able to get if you have good credit um, and, and are a qualified buyer um, on, on a lot of these cars. I mean, that's better than a mortgage I'm going to get on a rental property right now. I can arbitrage that that return um, with that. Um, and if you and and if you have if you're going to buy on the used market, you're going to need cash anyways um, to to buy that because you're going to have to pay the person in cash. You're certainly not going to get financing from a Craigslist seller um, on their used ten year old Rav Four. Confirmed. I did not offer financing on the Prius. <laughs> so really, everyone is going to be bottlenecking, or not everyone, but a lot of people, I think, are going to come to a similar conclusion. And there's going to be a bottleneck around these these new cars. Um, pretty shortly here. And I think to your point, what's that going to do? That's going to increase prices in the future. And it's very conceivable that new car prices just go up over the course of the next year or two. It's very conceivable that used car prices stay flat. So, you know, if you buy a used car, you're not really winning in that scenario. Um, and then, um, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think that all the signs point to buying a new car if you need a car um, right now in 2022. And I think it's a big departure from the way I've thought about um the world. I, I would have said that, you know, I should have bought a used Corolla when I bought my first one. Um, but that ended up not being a very large high stakes decision over the last 10 years for me, uh, in, in a, in a real sense. And, but, and today I think that is the move is to buy it new. I think the other thing, you know, you mentioned supply and that was something that we really bumped up against because we needed to have this new car in place before the winter and the winter starts like September 20th. So we needed to, no, it starts in November and, you know, people do not really buy and sell during the winter here. And so we needed to have the new car, have the Prius sold before the fall. And so we started looking and in the post, I include all the different cars that we looked at, but the wait time on, for example, a RAV4 was six months. And we said, this is not tenable because, you know, then we're looking at October, November, it's getting dicey. What if there's another delay? So then we looked at the Subaru Forester. It was like five months. The Outback was one month. And so I said, oh, I really like the Outback. So <laughs> in this way, I think there's a lot of advantage to planning ahead because if your car dies and you're in an emergency situation where you have to have a car right away, you're probably going to have to buy something used. And so like Scott's saying, you know, if your best, your next best option right now is to buy new, I would plan ahead, honestly. See if you can leverage your old used car, if there's any value there, 
and plan ahead so that you're not stuck buying something used because you need a car right away or getting something that isn't really what you want because you can't handle the wait time for a new car. That's a really great point. Um, The last thing I want to cover are your excellent tips for selling a used car. I thought these were like this whole article is amazing. If you're in the market for a new car, if you're thinking about selling your used car, you need to go read this article that Liz wrote on Frugal Woods, which we'll include in our show notes. It's really well reasoned and well thought out, but you have some great ideas for selling or great tips for selling a used car that I didn't even know about. All right. So do your research on pricing. So not just Kelly Blue Book, not just what you Google, you need to look at what similar used cars are selling for in your area, because your local market is going to dictate really what price you can expect. I always list at the very top of the market. You can always reduce the price. It's like really awkward to try and increase the price after somebody's interested. People like to bargain. They love to feel like they're getting a deal. So when we listed the Prius, we listed it at $8,900, which as you may recall, is what we paid for it. We did not expect to get that. List at the top, we then dropped the price to $8,400. A mechanic came, he wanted to buy it for his sister-in-law, and he said, would you take $8,000? And we said, how about $8,200? And he said, great. So he felt like he got a deal. We felt good about it because we had priced it as such that we were ready to negotiate, willing to bargain. So list at the top, you can always lower the price. Be really transparent about the condition of the car when you list it. So I have like the full list of all the little Prius's problems that we included on the Craigslist and on the Facebook Marketplace listing because it really engenders trust. Like it's a used car. Everybody knows it's a used car. You know, it's like, I, I don't know what people put like nearly new condition, only 200,000 miles. It's like, come <laughs> on, you know, be honest about like what you can expect. And I think that that helps the buyer to feel like, okay, I know what I'm getting. I can kind of understand what the, the known issues are. Um, it had a little bit of body damage. I included the pictures of the body damage. Like I pointed to the rust and included that photo. So when the person came to look at it, he was like, this is exactly what you said. You know, I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable with this. I, I totally understood the rust issues ahead of time and I'm ready to pay cash, you know, because he wasn't coming on like a fishing expedition. He didn't need to try to figure out what might be wrong with this. You know, and we said, you're a mechanic. Do you want to look it over? He's like, no, it's fine. You listed everything, you know? And so I think you're not really doing yourself any favors if you try to conceal any of those issues. It's kind of like dating. Like, I think you could probably like deceive someone for a couple dates, but then like, they're going to know. So you might as well just tell them. What was your most embarrassing spill? In the car? Yeah. Oh gosh. Oh, well, yeah. Um, you're not a parent yet. So I don't know if you want to know, but there were some, it's just, kids are just like awesome. There's a lot of issues. Um, car seats are washable. Also, you need to have a cover on your car. I actually am a parent um, at this point. So we, <gasps> we're recording We're recording this on September 13th, but we have a baby girl due October 6th. So by the time this releases, I think on Halloween, um, I, will, I will be a dad, fingers crossed, to a wonderful baby girl. Oh, you will have washed that car seat three times by then. So yeah, you'll understand. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So you recommend like the... the the little mats, the rubber mats at the bottom of the car. Necessary. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. 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 So I include in the article a link to everything we got. And my kids are like way older. They're four and six still. The car is like entirely childproof. Like there is mattage. Every open surface 
if you do not want it stained, cover it up. So we had done that in the Prius. And so the interior actually looked like really good. Um, you know, I washed it, I vacuumed it, I cleaned it very well before we listed it. And then I think one of the last things is do not do a trade-in with a dealership. Do not do a trade-in with a dealership, pretty much no matter what. So when we bought the Subaru, I was like, oh, can you tell us the trade-in price? And my husband was like, why are you asking that? We're not going to trade in. I was like, shut up, shut up, shut up, Nate. Because I wanted the number to really illustrate my point. And Nate the whole time was like, I don't understand why you're doing this. I was like, because I write a blog and I need material. (laughs) (laughs) So the poor dealership. So they looked at it and they're like, well, for this Prius, we will give you $3,000, which is a great price for a car so old. As you will recall, I then sold it for $8,200. So people do not want to go through the hassle of private sale. Uh, that was worth $5,200 to me to you know spend a couple hours. Like the kids and I washed it. We vacuumed it. I took some photos, wrote up a description. You know, yeah. So I made $5,200 in an afternoon, essentially. That works for me because it was also a child activity. They had a great time. So, you know, I, I think it's very tempting to do the dealership trade-in because you just... <laughs> you had to undo all their damage. Oh, yeah. They had to. They were like, wow, this car is dirty. I was like, I... In fact, I wonder why. So <laughs> I think those are my used car selling. We have now sold... My husband and I have sold three used cars over the years, I think. And we've always done it in private sale like this. Um, and it's, you know, it works out. I, I hope to never sell a used car. We'll see if that happens, if that's true. What, so. what is your, you're just going to have like a little car graveyard? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll sell it when it is totally done. To see, a, I don't to know. A, for parts company, so. I don't we'll know, see. because I think there is some value and somebody needs to make a chart and a graph. I think there's some value in capitalizing on the remaining years of an older car that you no longer want to drive a higher mileage older car, but that's true. Going ahead and cashing out on it versus having a true clunker, which we've had in the past and is really annoying and very hard to get rid of a car that no one wants. Yeah. I've got, uh, I've got one that will eventually just go to the graveyard because nobody wants it. This is the problem driving a stick. Um, which uh, is one of my tips. Uh, but I want to highlight that you you sold it by yourself for $5,000 more. Most people don't want to go through the hassle of selling their car. But I think also most people don't take your tip to be honest with the condition of the car. Barely use only 200,000 miles. And then people come out and they're like, well, what about all the rust and the front end damage? And it smells like gasoline on inside, on the inside and all of these things. When you are super honest, the people who want a brand new car are going to be like, I don't want to drive that car. They're not going to come. It's way less hassle because then you're just getting the mechanic who wants to come out and buy it for his sister-in-law. He sees all the stuff that you listed and he's like, they listed everything. There's no way that there's anything else that's wrong because why would you show all of this? And then like, what else could you be hiding? Right. And I had the full folder of like all the maintenance records. Like I keep everything. My husband made a spreadsheet of everything. The guy didn't even want it. I was like crushed. I was like, I have this whole, he's like, no, I'm a mechanic. I don't need it. I was like, but I have like every, like it's little, it's little birth certificate. I have it all because I do feel like it's like, (laughs) what am I trying to hide from you? Like, I'd like for you to be able to see all the work we've done so that if you have an issue in the future, your future mechanic can refer back. Like, again, I just see no reason to like not be transparent in this interaction. Yep. My last tip is because I drive a stick. It is a stick shift car. My husband once advertised a manual car 
And do you know how many people know what a manual is? <laughs> Only people who drive manual cars. So he put manual in there and all these people are coming over and they're like, it's a stick. And I'm like, did you not put stick in the car? He's like, yeah. Or in the in the uh, ad, he's like, I said it was a manual. I'm like, nobody knows what that means. <laughs> so I made him write stick shift in there. And we still got a couple of people. But I mean, if we're giving you all that information, then that's on you. But nobody knows what a manual is. So if you're trying to sell a stick shift car, sell a stick shift car. Don't sell a manual that's car. Right. That's right. Awesome. So I love it. So the takeaways from today are... Um, if you need to buy a new to you car, probably, unfortunately, going to need to think about buying new and you're going to have to wait a few months, but it's going to probably be a better bargain, all things considered than buying used, unless you really get a smoking deal in the used market, um, and, or get lucky, but it's, you know, Liz was not successful in her, her trials. I have not seen anything come close, um, in, in, in my shopping the last couple of months. And I, I, I just generally agree with that assessment. If you're going to buy a new car, consider getting financing because the interest rates are much lower for that than they are for a lot of other types of purchases, especially if you're into real estate. Um, you're going to get a 6 or 7% interest mortgage on a rental property. You can get a 3 or 4% mortgage on a new car. So crazy financial advice um, coming out of us today uh, in the context of the last 10 years. But I think, it's, I think it's the right move on that. And then I am going to put out an audience shout out because in spite of myself, and I think um, in spite of many folks listening to this uh, selves, uh, uh, advice to not to try to time the market, I think some people are going to try to put off the decision to buy a car in the craziness of the current car market for and, and try to combat it even longer than Liz did for two years. So I would like um, audience help. If you if you have any ideas, how can you bridge the next year, two, six months, eighteen months, whatever you think it is, um, in order to have access to a car that you need for your family without having to buy, lease? Or buy buy new buy buy used or lease. We'd love to hear it. Are there zip car things? Are there other creative avenues to do this um, to bridge things? You can delay the need for a car purchase uh, if you think that the market's going to come crashing down. I'd love to hear your opinions, uh, and we'll post that into the BP Money Facebook group. Liz, thank you so much for coming on today. This was a fascinating discussion. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Liz. It's always lovely to see you. And you I was too. just kidding about the spendy woods part. If anybody has any complaints, oh, I think it's if great. anybody has any complaints. About that, you can email Scott at biggerpockets.com. <laughs> Liz, where can people find out more about you? You can find me at frugalwoods.com. I am on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at frugalwoods. Awesome. Thank you so much, Liz, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. Listen up, business owners. Here's some quick math. Fewer costs equals more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Don't let rising costs sink your business's growth. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash bpmoney. That's netsuite.com slash bpmoney. NetSuite.com slash BP Money. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. Okay, we just heard from Liz Frugalwoods about why she chose to buy a brand new car. And now I'm about to bring in my friend, Jesse, who is a mechanic of more than 20 years to talk about getting the most for your car when it's time to repair, when it's time to throw in the towel, how to find a good mechanic, etc. Joining me is my co-host, Carl Jensen, my husband, who knows more about cars than I do, but less than Jesse does. Carl, welcome. Thank you. Jesse, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to talk to you. 
I have a quote really quick from my producer, Kaylin's boyfriend, Tom. He says, the cheapest car you'll ever own is the car you already own. I really like this quote because it's kind of true. You already own the car. If it's a paid off car, you don't have a car payment. You might have car repairs, but you don't have a car payment. If you do have a car payment, you probably don't have car repairs because it's a brand new car. Hopefully it's a brand new car. Um, but let's get back to, uh, Liz. I know Liz personally, I know that her decision did not come lightly. And I also know that her husband is very mechanically inclined. So they did all the research and they decided that they didn't want to purchase. They didn't want to own this car anymore. It wasn't working for them. They ran all the numbers. They did all the stuff. I mean, they are super huge nerds. If you know the frugal woods, you know that they are spreadsheet nerds. But not everyone has someone in their life who is mechanically inclined. So this is where Jesse comes in. Jesse, I have heard, as I am sure you have, cringy comments from people who are like, my car needs $800 in repairs. I'm just going to buy a new car. And sometimes that $800 in repairs is going to get you to you know, five more years of, of driving on this car. But sometimes that $800 is going to get you to next week's $800 repair. Let's talk about some uh, some issues that are worth repairing and some issues that are not worth repairing. So when it, I think when it comes to repairing a car, it's going to come down to safety and reliability. They can be the two biggest repairs that probably should be done. So if you can't safely drive your car, that's going to be the top thing that needs to be repaired. Now, if your car is safe but can't move, that's going to be the other side of it. <laughs> so <laughs> those are the two big ones. So brakes, suspension, steering, that's all safety stuff. Depending on your comfort level, whether you not you want your airbags to work or not, that that's a pricey repair of an airbag brakes, which all modern cars have many airbags and many different devices that can fail. But that doesn't make your car technically unsafe. I mean... It, it, some people, it's a must. Other people, I see, they don't care and will drive their car that works just fine but have airbag light on. Now, if your car is not moving, that's where it could get expensive. I mean, you could have everything from a fuel pump that's pretty going to be expensive but worth repairing. Or if you have an engine that fails, that's going to be where you're probably going to have the biggest debate on doing cost comparison and figuring out if it's going to be worth fixing or not. Because there's... No way around that the engine and transmission are the two biggest repairs that you could possibly have mechanically on the car. And it's going to vary widely between brands, between cars, even in the same brand, whether it's a gas engine or a diesel engine. And I think that's where people are going to have to start making the biggest choices on repair versus replace. What kind of warranty comes with an a repair like this? Like if I replace my whole engine, I would assume that I would be getting more than like a five-day warranty on this. That's going to vary widely depending on what engine you get. So if you buy a new, get a new engine or new reman, you'll never get a new engine. Let's just, there's no such thing as a brand new engine. If your car that's a 2022 comes into a dealer and the engine has to be replaced, it's getting a reman, which is a engine that is pretty much brand new, that's been completely overhauled by some company that the manufacturer uses to rebuild the engines, and then they get resold as remans. They usually come with pretty decent warranties on them. Um, 
I think from GM, a lot of them are three-year, 100,000-mile warranties. So that's a pretty good chunk of time and miles. Now, if you're getting a junkyard engine, which is a cheaper option, which I have. I the My current vehicle I bought, I put a junkyard engine in. It came with like a, a 60 or 90-day warranty. And then there's different grades of used engines in the market. There's different ways you can find them. Some will have warranties and some will be like, this is just an engine. You can take it. We're not responsible for anything. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So, well, okay. So that's, that's a good bit of information to know. If I don't know what I'm doing and I want a warranty, then I need to ask the question, does this come with a warranty? Nope. This is just an engine. We're not responsible for it. If I want a warranty, that's not the engine that I should be buying. If I do want a warranty, then I need to go. It sounds like I should go to a dealership if I want some sort of warranty with an engine replacement. Yes and no. There so there's there's besides the new remand from a manufacturer and the junkyard ones there are companies they take engines and rebuild them and sell them and they actually have good warranties on them as well they're technically remands but they're not made by a manufacturer they're i don't know there's a big company called jasper they're nationwide a lot of aftermarket or independents have access to Jasper engines. And if you have a Jasper engine put in, you can have a warranty at that independent or any independent that is certified to put Jaspers in. Okay. And that's another way to go. If for a big item, they do engines, transmissions, and some driveline components. And they're probably the biggest, one of the biggest players in the market for engines and transmissions that are remanufactured like new that also hold pretty decent warranties on them. Sometimes they're, it depends on the engine again, but they have different packages. Usually they're usually a couple years and usually a hundred thousand miles as well. So I have a question for you, Jesse, if, and I'm curious cause our Mazda just passed to 200,000 miles like two days ago, it, which is amazing. It's never had an issue. So I want to pose this question to you. If, if I drive a car and I drive it um, gently, I'm not going to drive aggressively. And if I follow the maintenance, how many miles should I expect out of a modern engine? I would say a gas engine, two to 300,000 is pretty common. Okay. Wow, that's common. I thought I was doing good. Yeah. We have, just so we have multiple customers that have, they're not Ubers, but they're, they, they have transport companies. So they have... Yukons and some of the bigger Cadillac sedans, and they drive those things 24 seven. Most of them have over 300,000 on them and they're 2016s and newer. Wow. And most of them are on the, they, they have the original engines in them still, but they do maintenance like crazy. They're, they change the oil once a month because they put 6,000 miles a, a month on their vehicle sometimes. So that's not uncommon. Well, that's a very interest. That leads me to a very interesting story. So uh, Carl's sister, who shall remain nameless because he has two, once went something like, what, 20 or 40,000 miles without an oil change. And when his dad finally caught up with her, he's like, we have to change your oil. And he opens up the, the oil pan and it's just like, bleh, bleh, bleh. it's just so sludgy and gross. 
how frequently should you be changing your oil for those of you who are not changing your oil frequently? I, I will tell people, follow the owner's manual. That's your owner's manual will tell you how many miles or how long to go between oil changes. Bare minimum is once a year. Almost every manufacturer will tell you once a year. And it's changed so much in the market since I started. I mean, when I started, it was, you know, 3,000 miles, three, three months. That was the standard. <laughs> but the, the oils have changed. Every Those were all conventional, non-synthetic oils. The engines were very basic. They were the same technology they've been using forever. Engines have drastically changed in the last 15 years and 10 years, mainly due to emissions. And it's become even more important to change, keep up on your oil changes. But these oil changes have now gone quite a bit longer. We, on average, I, I think most of our oil changes are around 7,000 miles, but they're also using a full synthetic oil, which costs three times as much as a conventional oil change. So you're spending $90, $100 to have your oil changed at a dealership, but it's not going to be that much cheaper, even if you do it on your own. I mean, oil has gone up in price so much as well, but... That's the biggest thing that's changed, I think, in the last 10, 15 years is the complications inside of engines that people don't understand. And besides just changing your oil is checking your oil regularly. And I mean, everyone should be checking a thousand miles because engines are using oil. Just because you have a new car does not mean it's not using oil at all. And you need to check it because oil level and oil pressure is so important always, but it's even more critical because there's, they're using oil to control things for emission purposes inside of your engine now. That's become, you know, that it's critical. So you would say that's probably the most important thing to pay attention to. to clear yeah, up. and it's so many places are lube places are pushing. They'll just put a mileage on their stickers or whatever. Follow your owner's manual. And almost every new car now has an oil life index where it starts to count down. And it's based off an algorithm that I have no idea how it works, but it's based on engine runtime. They can detect how you drive. So you can get two people the same car and that oil index life may change between the two people driving it because if one person's towing and it's always being used for towing and in the mountains like it is in Colorado and one person's just driving around town, you're going to have those two oil lives go down at different rates. But GM tells people once it hits 20%, you need to start scheduling your oil change. You've mentioned owner's manual a couple of times. Is that that book that I've never opened that came with the car in the glove box? <laughs> no one who's ever bought a car has ever opened that thing before. He has. I love, I love to read that. It's great. Yeah, all no, the chapters. Not. I love it. Okay, it's super boring, but what Jesse is saying is you need to open up that book that came with your car. It's in the glove box that you've never used. Open it up and find out where the oil change frequency is and do that. Also, check your oil pressure, check your oil levels every thousand miles. So if you haven't done that, stop this podcast, put it on pause, go outside and check your oil levels. If you're not in the right there's a little gauge, right? Does your does your owner's manual tell you what it's supposed to be? Yeah, you, it should tell you how to check your oil. It also will tell you all the maintenance that is recommended by the manufacturer. And this is an important point. 
what the manufacturer says for that vehicle, not what any independent, even dealers, because everyone tries to upsell everything. So there may be services that are being recommended to you that you may not technically need or are being done prematurely. And there is maintenance schedules in every manual that I've seen. It'll lay out at these miles or time that these either need to be replaced or checked. Okay. Well, let's look at this for a minute. This is a 20, 30, 50, 80, $120,000 purchase that you have made. Invest a little bit of time and figure out when you need to put in $100 into an oil change so that you don't have to then buy another 20, 30, 50, 80, $120,000 vehicle because your engine blew up because you never changed the oil ever. Yeah. And I've got one other thing to ask you, Jesse. So I mentioned our Mazda 5. I call it the minivan It's actually <laughs> because it's like a micro minivan. And our Honda Element both have, I think the Element has like 196,000 miles on it. Both of them are stick shifts and both of them are still on the original clutch and with no sign of that clutch dying because we drive them gently. How much value? And you always hear about highway miles versus city miles and you alluded to maybe an aggressive driver needing oil changes more frequently. How? It, so I liked it. I'm going from my own bias and perspective, but we drive our cars pretty gently and I like to think that that extends their life. Do you think there's any value to that or am I deluding myself? No, I think how you drive your vehicle does impact the way that it wears. If you're aggressive on it, if you don't keep up on maintenance, you don't check your tire pressures. Like you can, that's the one thing I, I don't understand is just the simple things that people can do. Tire pressures are super easy, especially on pretty much every new car in the last 10 years has a tire pressure monitor. You can usually scroll through, through on the screen and see all your pressures. But an old car, you have to get out of gauge and check them. But tires aren't cheap. I mean, even a cheap set of tires is five hundred bucks. But even if it's a if it's a decent set, you're spending almost a thousand dollars. And checking tire pressures is just as important as checking your oil pressure or your oil level. And how much is a tire pressure gauge? Like five bucks? Yeah, but most people don't have a compressor. But this is another thing. If you is building a relationship with a shop can be very beneficial. So like at our shop, any customer, any even if you're not a customer, you just know you can come into our service drive. They will check your oil level, top off your tire pressures or check them for no cost. Right there on the drive takes five, 10 minutes and then they'll wash your car. And lots of places will do this. And there it's, it's customer retention is what they're trying to get. They want you to keep coming back. But if you don't know how or can't, if you have a relationship with a shop, it can be very beneficial in getting getting stuff easily checked if you don't know how to do it. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Okay, so let's talk about finding a good shop or a good mechanic. What is your what are some tips that you have for finding somebody? I mean, there's always this I know you're very honest, Jesse, but you can't be everywhere to everyone. So you want to sleep. Uh, how does somebody find a good mechanic when they don't know Jesse. Uh, this has gotten. This has been a very tough issue across the industry. I mean, it's always had a negative connotation, but what's gotten worse lately is so many technicians have left the industry. Most have been aging out. I mean, they're retiring, 
and no one's coming in. So there's shops that are just shutting down because they just don't have the personnel to keep them staffed. Or they're just filling it with a lot of younger people that don't aren't being trained properly and don't know how to do everything properly. So it is hard to find shops. The only thing I can say is look, next door neighbor seem the app next door neighbor seems to be really good about calling out people when they're not doing things right. But also they recommend shops that do very good jobs and take care of people. At least locally, I've seen it happen. There's a number of shops in Longmont where we live that get high praise because they seem to take care of their customers, but there are also shops that have been around for 20 plus years. So I think longevity, finding a shop that's been around for a while is probably the number one thing because if a shop is not doing the right thing, they're not going to be around very long because especially now with social media and Facebook, they are going to be hit pretty hard if they're not doing the right thing. Have you ever looked at the, uh, there was that show, I think it might've been on public radio called Car Talk. And I think they had a mechanic finder on there or something like that. Are you familiar with that? Have you ever I'm not familiar that with that. I've, okay. heard, I've heard of people talk about it, but I have not heard anything about it or used it. Didn't we find one in Monona there, like around the corner from our house? Yeah, we did. It was right. Yeah, it was right by our house. But I'm, I'm not sure how good they were. They were very expensive. But yeah, did word of mouth is probably the next biggest thing. Is just talking to people who've had their car service somewhere that have had a good experience. That is a really good point. Ask your ask your friends. Ask your neighbors. I mean, honestly, if you had a really bad experience with a mechanic, you're gonna let your your neighbor know. Hey, do you know any place where I can get an oil change? Well, don't go to Bob's Mechanic Shop on Main Street because they ripped me off. Or you should go to Bob's Mechanic on Main Street because they were amazing. They checked my tire pressure. They checked my oil. And they wash my car after they did my oil service. Like people will talk about what they really love and people will also let you know when they didn't really love somebody. That's a really good point. Yeah. And uh, one point I want to make, and this kind of surprised me, we bought a car and it needed a timing belt. And I got a bunch of quotes and by far the cheapest one was the the dealership. Like I've always thought in my mind, like uh, don't go to the dealer because they're going to charge you more. But they were probably... I think they're like 25% cheaper than the next highest quote. So, yeah, don't. Uh, so my advice to that would be don't discount them immediately. Like they might be okay. Okay. <laughs> they, they were great. <laughs> How long? Did, so, Jesse, I'm kind of curious. We've had, we have ancient cars. I think our oldest car now. What is our oldest car from 2000, right? Well, that so doesn't that, really count because we got that from somebody. Our yeah. oldest car is a 2010 that we have. Oh, don't know the the element. It's a 2003. Yeah. We bought it brand new, which is a sin in the personal finance world. Although you just heard Liz Frugalwoods talking about buying a new car, but this was way back when, you know, you could get a used car for super, super cheap. Um, we bought a brand new 2003 Honda Element and we have driven all 196,000 miles combined. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, it's running great. I would never consider trading it out. When should you consider trading out a car? I think it comes down to your Honestly, I, I so I read the article you sent me from Fruit Woods, and I think that was more their decision was more than just mechanical. I think that if they lived in a city, I think they would have fixed their car and they'd just be driving it. Yes. But the picture of their driveway, that is not a Prius driveway. Oh, we've been to that house. That driveway never ends. And it is like lumpy bumpy and like they it's Vermont. They get a thousand feet of snow every year. 
So honestly, it's going to come down to your personal preference on repair versus replace. But I think you got to be smart about it. Some people just don't like their car and they're just like, I don't want to pay this anymore. So they just want a new car. Well, that might just be, that's a gut preference, not probably the smartest money preference. Even if you have a car and you can replace it with that exact same car, say the engine goes out and you find the exact same model you have, same year, and you buy that car, it was probably more beneficial to replace the engine than it would be to buy that other car because you know the history of the car that you have. So if you're going to spend $8,000 to replace an engine or $8,000 to replace it, it's probably worth it to replace the engine. If it's a car that you've had for a long time, because you know the history of that car, you do not know the history of another used car. Now, that, that's going to change if you're going to a brand new 2022. There's not really a comparison, but then you need to add another zero to that $8,000 and make it 80000 That's a really good point. In the past, not not in the last couple of years, but in the past, it made sense to buy a used car because you were getting such a deep discount that it was okay to, uh, quote, take on somebody else's problem. But right now, like we just heard Liz say, she was going to get, what, like a $2,000 discount to take on somebody else's problem versus buying a brand new car. So she opted for the brand new car because you're not getting a discount on used cars right now. No, and that's the market has completely flipped right now. Most people are still fixing their cars, not because they want to, because they have to, because there is no available option to replace that car with even at a reasonable price, whether it's new or used. One, we can't get new cars. It's been two years and our dealer usually stocked like 60 to 80 new cars. I think we've had like 10 new cars on the lot is the most we've had on the lot for new cars because every car that's coming in is already sold. So if you want a car, it's taking six to nine months a lot of the time, if you want something specific and used car prices are just outrageous right now. And that's why a lot of people are forcing themselves to fix their car, I guess, and keep it a little bit longer. <laughs> it's not a good time for anything right now, buying or selling or fixing. Sounds like a good time to buy a bicycle <laughs> or walk <laughs> or take the bus. <laughs> Delivery time was one of the reasons why Liz chose the car that she chose because there was another car she wanted a little bit more, but the delivery time was like six or nine months. And she said, no, forget it. I need it now. We have we have a lot of customers who have been waiting months for cars that they ordered. I don't, I don't understand exactly how new cars come to the dealership, but they can see when the sales can see when they're put on trucks and are heading to the dealership. And then they start calling customers saying, hey, these cars are on their way. Do you want them? And most people are just buying them before they even see them. But and if you want a truck or a lar like a, a large full-size truck or an SUV, which is the, the most, what we sell the most at our dealer, you're paying full price and you're waiting. One guy waited nine months for his truck to show up. People are just getting in line and just taking, putting deposits down just so they can have that vehicle. Have you seen excitement with electric vehicles? I know uh, the brand you work for produces EVs. Uh, we just ordered one, actually. But the new tax credit, I think there's going to be a $7,500 tax credit in 2023. And that's what 
That's why we ordered one, actually, because of that. Have you seen excitement around that segment? Yeah, we just we still don't have a lot of EVs are in the pipeline coming. The Hummer was the first big one. We've had two of them. They were already sold before they even got to our dealership. It's kind of hit and miss, I think. There are some people that are all about it. There's still a lot of people who are like, I will never have an EV ever, which I don't know if that's going to play out, but it seems to be a mixed market. How do you feel about warranties? Like, uh, <laughs> so and this is something I've never bought into. I never buy an extended warranty for everything. I'd rather buy a quality product and take care of it. But I know some people like um, there's a lot of value to them in knowing that they'll be covered if something goes wrong, like an extended warranty. How do you feel about those? The market for extended warranties is also another whole genre. You can buy really bad warranties. A lot of these, when you get those phone calls or emails about your car's ex- warranties about to expire, <laughs> those are the ones you do not want to buy from. <laughs> I get those like five times a day, those robocalls. So we sell, we sell, I think, a few extended warranties that you can buy. Most of the ones you buy through a dealership are usually pretty good, meaning the coverage is good. Some are very specific, only internally lubricated parts. And that's very, very, very narrow in what they're going to cover. And those are a lot of the third party ones you're not buying at a dealer. Dealer ones usually cover very similar to whatever the original manufacturer's warranty covered. And some are actually sold by the manufacturers as certified pre-owned, which is technically an extension of the warranty, which is also a pretty decent way to get a car with a warranty that has good coverage. You can take to pretty much any dealer in the United States to have it fixed. But as for whether you should buy an extended one or not, it's it's hard to say. If you have the money, because they're pricey to begin with, and people just roll them into their loans, thinking they're just getting these warranties, but they're costing sometimes, most of them are thousands of dollars now. So unless you have a big repair, it's probably not going to pay for itself. And the other thing is the, the warranties on a lot of, if you're buying it, you're usually getting a warranty on a newer car anyways, which most of the newer cars have pretty good long warranties. If anything major is going to happen, it's usually going to happen in that time period. So I think uh, like Cadillac is seven years, seven years, 60,000 or 70,000 miles. I don't know, they've changed them up a lot lately, but. You're usually getting at minimum five years, 60,000 miles, which is pretty decent coverage. If there's an issue, you're going to have it in that time frame. So, Jesse, I know you through the financial independence space. So what would you say, like I'm coming up to you and I say, well, I'm 22. I just graduated from college. I really want to minimize like the two things you hear about that screw up people money-wise are housing and cars. And we're not talking about housing here, so we'll talk about cars. So... Uh, I'm 22 years old. I need to drive to work. So I definitely need a car, a bike, and a bus is not an option. But what should I do to minimize my transportation expense? Uh, and I want to become financial independent as soon as possible. So I financially independent as soon as possible. So I want to minimize the cost, uh, my transportation costs, even though I need a car, what would you tell someone? Like, what kind of car to buy and how to take care of them? I realize this is a very broad and general question, but yeah. I mean, I would definitely say buy used, pay cash if you can. 
And I've worked for General Motors brand dealerships, so Chevy for a number of years, then Cadillac, GMC, Buick. I'm biased because I just I know how to work on them. But if I wasn't at a dealer, I would probably look at Toyota or Honda because they have a very good reputation. They also have very good selection of cars that usually last a long time, are easy to maintain. Lots of people, independents, know and how how to work on them. Try to look for that entry level car. I did the wrong thing. I bought a BMW when I was twenty two. <laughs> <laughs> well, which, which which one did you buy? I'm a car person, so I'm curious. Uh, so I bought a, I had a 330i back in 2004. I moved out on my own to my first apartment. My car got stolen the first week I lived there, and I took and turned around and bought a BMW because that's what I wanted. And it, it wasn't a good financial decision whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's say I have decided to sell my car. What do you have to disclose when you sell your old car? What do you have to disclose if you're selling to a dealership? And what do you have to disclose when you're selling to a person? Nothing. Nothing. Okay. I don't believe there's any law that says you have to disclose anything whatsoever. Ooh, okay. So I am going to give a suggestion. If you know something is wrong with the car, tell the person that you're selling it to. Uh, if, If it's a dealership... Maybe I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but if you're selling it to a dealership, they have mechanics. It's not like they're going to be like, oh, it's perfect. Of course. We're just going to put it on the lot. I bet they have a mechanic look it over and be like, it's not perfect. We, I've had a customer find out he had something very serious wrong with his car, but it was still drivable and turn around and went to another dealer that didn't know about it so he could trade it off and get rid of it as quick as possible before it failed. That happens. It does. I would imagine that that dumping garbage cars on a dealership happens frequently, which is why you would think they would drive it to the mechanic department to be like, Hey guys, check this out before they give the person some money. Rarely ever. I've never been asked to inspect a car that is being traded in. Really? If, if it gets traded in, it will get inspected. But if you come to a dealer and you're going to trade it in, we never look at them before. They get physically looked at, like they walk around, make sure there's no dents in it. But they do not, it does not go back to the shop to be inspected first. Okay, that is the most surprising thing that you have said. I am absolutely shocked that you said that. I thought for sure they would drive it to the the auto repair department and have you guys look at I've it. I've never, I've, this is, I've worked at four dealers and that's not common practice. Wow. So a lot of the time, okay. a lot of the times, if it's an older car, it doesn't even stay at our dealership. They turn around and sell it to an auction company and it leaves our dealership within a few days. Okay. So our dealership, this current dealership I work at usually doesn't keep high miles or older vehicles. They get turned around and sold to, there's companies out there that that's all they do is buy these used cars from dealers that do not want them. And they usually go to auction. Buyer beware at the auction. So I guess one last question for me, if I'm that 22 year old person and I see, you said Honda or Toyota, if I see the old Toyota Corolla on Craigslist and I go look at it, how do I, uh, what should I do to verify it? that I'm not buying something that's going to break down next week? Like, should I take it in for an inspection or 
what specifically should I look at to make sure I'm not buying a problem? That's the number one thing that people do not do is they just go and they look at a car on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist or even an independent lot, drive it, pay for it, leave, and then something happens to it. And then there's no guarantee that the place will stand by anything because they don't have to. You bought it as is. I say, I tell everyone, no matter what you're buying, take it to have a pre-inspection done. Our dealer has a, we have a menu item line on, in our computer for if someone wants to bring a car in for a pre-inspection, I don't remember how much it is, around $140 or $50. We will look it over fairly well, meaning it gets lifted. We do scan it just to see if there's any codes on the system. We don't diagnose those codes just to write them down and tell you, hey, these codes are in the system. It's something you need to be aware of. We will check brake suspension, check it over for leaks. Um, just do an overall good inspection on the vehicle. I've had it come where people have brought us a vehicle. I inspected it and it's used as two things. One, it's like, it's perfect. It's great. No worries. Buy it. And then I've had people like, you know, the, there's pieces missing from the AC system and it doesn't work. <laughs> and they're like, what? I'm like, yeah. And it was used more as a bargaining chip or not to buy it at all. And if you were to take it, I recommend the dealer first of the manufacturer that you're trying to buy. So if you're buying a Toyota, call a Toyota dealer and ask them if they do pre-inspections, ask them how much it is. And then most buyers, if they're comfortable selling you the vehicle, will be comfortable, you know, either... Usually it's the seller will drop it off at the dealer or both people will come to the dealer at the same time, like on a test drive and have it scheduled. Dealers are going to have, I'm biased. We see these vehicles all day, every day for years. So we know what things to look for that could be small issues that turn into bigger issues before other people even see them. Or if you can find an independent that specializes in Honda or Toyota, because they also, that's all they're working on day in, day out. That's a really good point. They know what issues are coming up. They know what to look for. I love that. That's an excellent tip, Jesse. And my other tip is have a really good friend like Jesse who will uh, <laughs> drive your car over to his place. Hey, Jesse, share your phone number with everybody. <laughs> the, the pre pre inspection. <laughs> Yeah. Jesse, thank you so much for your time today. This was so much fun and this was super informative. I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge with our listeners. Yep. Thank you. So a big thanks to Liz Frugalwoods at the top of the show for sharing her tips on buying a new car and the thought process that she used to determine that, yes, despite my ridicule, a brand new car was the right choice for her. And I'm teasing her, of course, but I do really like how she considered her purchase. She didn't just jump in with both feet. And if you have a new purchase coming up, a new car purchase, you need to read the article that she wrote on her website. It goes into a ton of detail about her very conscious thought process into how she determined that, yes, I'm going to buy a new car, not a used car, and how she compared the different cars and her different options and ultimately determined which one she was going to use uh, or which one she was going to purchase. Uh, her website is frugalwoods.com. 
And a big thanks to Jesse for sharing tips about how to keep your current car running until our wampy supply chain issues work themselves out. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. This is Mindy Jensen signing off. Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions.